I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. I'm your host, Brian C. Adams. Tune in weekly to hear from top industry leaders as we discuss relevant topics in the world of business, investing, health and wellness, geopolitics, and more. To learn more about the show, visit excelsiorgp.com slash podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Capital Club Podcast. Today with me, Aileen Miziolek. Aileen helps families use their wealth intentionally with meaning, purpose, and direction to create the fulfilling lives they desire. She is a guide to business-owning families and families of means who are navigating the unique opportunities and challenges of intergenerational wealth transfer, business succession planning, estate planning, and philanthropy. Aileen brings a multidisciplined and integrated approach to her work, including 20 years of experience in complex financial and estate planning, family systems coaching, and family business consulting. She's the co-author of Inspired Wealth, Financial Leadership for the 21st Century, and believes that all families can learn the skills to flourish at the intersection of wealth, personal well-being, and positive family relationships. She is also a consultant for the Family Business Consulting Group. Aileen, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, so before we went live, you have a, a very diverse and deep background, and I think you made some kind of reference of the many professional lives that you've led to where you are today. I'd love for you to, if you could kind of talk us through your background and how that informed the work that you do with families today. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. I started my career as an entrepreneur. I started working at the bank when I was still at university. My mom worked at one of uh, Canada's five big banks, and worked there part-time. And then when I graduated, it was the height of the Great Recession. So everybody wanted entrepreneurial skills. And it was the time that banking machines made their debut. And so some people were displaced under their jobs in the banking world because of these machines. And so anyway, I recognize that, you know, everybody wanted entrepreneurial skills. There's no way to do that. But prove them. So I left the bank and started my own first business. 
And I ran that for a couple of years and it was successful. I sold it as a, on, as a going concern. With my first business sale under my belt, I started working for the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. And so worked with them for a while and recognized, I, I spoke with 500 families every year and recognized that they were not doing any planning. So from there, I became a financial planner that specialized in family business um, and helping people, you know, diversify some of their portfolios because they all their anyway, we used to say all their eggs were in one basket, which I learned that was probably a good thing. But at the time, it was about diversification and providing professional advice because accountants were not providing financial planning advice at that time. They were doing more historical governance work. And so, so from there, I recognized that financial planning was not about so much about the money, but it was about choices. And from there, I started getting interested in coaching because it was around how do we help people make choices in their lives that are going to expand their ability to create wealth in the future. And so I was really focused about creating wealth at that time. And that's where I integrated um, the coaching into financial planning and, and wrote Inspired Wealth, Financial Leadership from the 21st Century, which was all about creating wealth from within. And it was a journey, you know, the hero's journey, and uh, had 12 principles around, we might get back to that, around wealth creation that I think are still very, very relevant today. If And if anything, the challenge I had with the book at that time was that I was 20 years too early. I wrote the book in uh, 2003 and was published in 2004. And at that time, I was a young financial planner. I got on my soapbox and started talking about integrating coaching into financial planning. And everybody thought I had three heads. They didn't know what coaching was. And anyway, so, so that was early, but it was really all about creating the human capital and developing human capital so that we are able to create financial capital and sustain financial capital. And it was all about that. And as I said, it was a bit too early. But then as I was working with families, uh, high net worth families, I recognized that, you know, while managing wealth is one thing, most of the wealth is in the businesses that they create. And so the conversations really needed to be about making decisions together as a family and how transition was going to work and the challenges of change in family and processing that. And so from there, I I became a family enterprise advisor and I started working on creating a process for integrating family business work into the wealth management processes and structures that we had for one of these, the bank that I worked with at the time. And then I realized that we needed more facilitation skills and to be able to really coach the system. And so I, from there, became an organization relationship systems coach, eventually left the bank and now work with the family business consulting group out of Chicago. Yeah, I'm a family business consultant over the last uh, five years, although I've been doing it since 2014, but I've been working with them for the last five years and in integrating the systems coaching work and really focusing on 
strengthening relationships so that we can co-create and sustain the wealth together. That, that's a lot. <laughs> Varied and in-depth, but a, a cool story. And I think obviously really speaks to the work that you do today and how you're able to serve families so well. I want to go back and pull out a couple of things that you mentioned during your initial statement there. Could you maybe talk us through what systems coaching is? Sure. So a lot of people are familiar and it's very popular to coach, um, to be coached and to coach individuals. And very often when a family comes to me, they are excited about, you know, well, you're a coach, so you're going to be able to coach the next generation. And here's the challenge with that. When we take somebody and we coach them up and we help them initiate change in their lives and we bring them back to a system that hasn't changed, it's very difficult for that coached up person to come back and try to shift their own system. And so what we find, and that's actually, you can think about that this in the way that, you know, when we send our kids to Harvard to get an MBA and they come back to the business and say, oh, I, you know, I know exactly what needs to happen here. And they try to initiate change. It's not always integrated properly and accepted. And so instead of doing that, and so it can create more diversity even and more conflict actually in the short run. But what we do instead is we coach the whole system as a system forward. So we coach the family as a family. We coach the relationships in the system, not necessarily the individuals. And there is a place for individual coaching as well, because that personal development is a part of this, but it's also coaching the group, coaching the team, coaching the system. And you referenced something that I'd like to dig into a little bit more about this recognition that human capital is more important in a lot of ways than the financial capital. It seems to be a development within the family business and family office world that's been a long time coming that you can't just have, you even referenced the kind of CPAs who were just doing the tax work, backwards looking, I think was the term you used, very technical people that were working on estate planning, documenting taxes, putting together very technical legal strategies and the investment side as well. But there's this burgeoning realization that all that is great, but it's really just table stakes because at the end of the day, these families typically blow up because they can't be in the same room together. Yeah, for sure. And so there's a lot of components to this. First of all, money itself is a symbol of value that exchanged between people. And so really at the core of it, money is about relationships, right? It's about our relationship and how we add value to others and how they accept value from us. And we know that families are generative. Love is generative. It creates things. But conflict can be destructive. And the fastest way to destroy wealth is conflict in families. And so the human capital part of this. And, and that means the individual's development and 
the ability to be in right relationship with the people around us, whether that is those are business partners or family members or, you know, people in our organizations, that really is what creates wealth. And what I've gone to and what I believe very strongly, we're at this time where the relationship skills that we need, and they are different than communication skills. I differentiate between communication and relationship skills. The relationship skills and the communication skills that we need and our own ability to show up with agency in the world and create something from the resources that we have. And those are, that is really the epitome of wealth and well-being. And so it's interesting because I felt so validated when I recently read a quote from Warren Buffett that said, in times of inflation, the best place to invest is in yourself, right? And that creates an annuity going forward. Every time you're able to create more wealth, it's an annuity or an opportunity or whatever. So, so that has always been, I struggled 20 years ago with this when I first learned to be a CFP and we talked about budgets and how we would, you know, have to shrink into the budget that we had. And for me, it was, no, we have to build the capital so we can create more value, so we can expand and, and create. And so how do we do that individually? How do we do that now together? And as we transition wealth from one generation to the next, where siblings now are needing to do that together because parents have, have passed down an asset or whether it's a business, a property, whatever, how do we co-create? That's the question that I'm asking myself now. So this is the meat of the conversation, I think, based on the homework I did on you. I want to start with agency. It's a term that gets thrown around a lot amongst, so I'm a 41-year-old guy. There's a lot of what I would call like bro culture around having agency in your life these days. But specifically within the family office and family business world, how do you create that positive self-esteem positive self-image agency in the world that is enabled by the family wealth, but is separate from the family wealth so that you have an identity apart from it and are not beholden to it? Yeah, that's a great question. And I really believe that each of us needs our own sense of adventure and really to be able to honor diversity in our families and you know the importance of everyone is a voice in the family and everyone has their own gifts to give to bring into this world i really believe that this is a journey that we can't control in one another and i'll say something you know in 2016 I lost my youngest daughter and she went on a journey to India to, she was going to go into neuroscience and, and family counseling. And she went into India on a volunteer. She loved volunteering. She went on a volunteer vacation kind of trip and 
Anyway, she passed in India from bacterial meningitis very suddenly. It's a very difficult thing from a parent's perspective. I mean, it's devastating. I can't, that's such an understatement. But to accept that we all have our own journey. And part of that is a spiritual journey. Part of that is, you know, an adventure journey. But we can't stop each other from having those journeys. And she was, you know, anyway, I believe that when we can surrender our own expectations and trust in the journey of others. I mean, this did not end well, but this was her trajectory. We don't own our children. And that's, I guess, the big lesson here. We raise them. They're ours to raise, whatever, but we don't own them and they have their own journey. And within families, I think about that often. And again, the adventure of creating something that is ours, no matter where that takes us, is a difficult thing to reconcile sometimes with what we want for our families and what we want for one another. But letting go and surrendering sometimes into that is a very important thing. So getting back at this, agency is important and also believing in one another but knowing that we're all interconnected as well. So, and our wealth interconnects us, our stories of family interconnect us. And so how do we, how are we able to side by side express ourselves and grow into those, into creative people that can be interdependent and, and honor what we have from our families but create something that's uniquely ours in the world. And we can't do that for one another, unfortunately. I would have loved to have chosen many different paths for my daughter, but there was no influencing her otherwise. And so, you know, we can't do this for each other. We have to do it for ourselves. And we have to honor that process in our family members. I'm so sorry to hear about your daughter. I'm a father of two myself. And I can't imagine. But to your point about how we can't control them, I think about this a lot in respect to my own father. I really wonder, I mean, I was talking about my this with my therapist yesterday, like how much of my decisions, even today as a 41-year-old, are dictated by trying to find or achieve his affirmation. And it's really hard for me to reflect back on myself and even know on a daily basis how many of these things that I'm doing are to try to achieve recognition from him versus things that I really want to do myself. And, and I have really struggled with it, I'm sure, a lot of families do. Yeah, this is a very, this is part of the journey, right? We are, I always laugh. I say, you know, a part of our journey is to overcome the need in some ways for validation from one another and be able to find strength in our own North Star. And that is part of, that is life's journey, right? And this is where it comes up when I'm, working with sibling teams because 
they sometimes become competitive for that attention and that approval. And, and they struggle sometimes with achieving it because their parent may be more alike in personality than their sibling than they are in themselves. And so one may find that easier than the other, or one may identify with one parent versus the other and, and still seek that validation. And that gets all thrown into the soup when I'm coaching uh, siblings for sure. And no parent wants to impose it on children. And I always say, this is where I laugh. I say part of, part of life is, you know, overcome the ways that, you know, our perfect parents, we realize that we weren't perfect and we're going to screw our kids up in ways that we have no idea yet, you know, but that is part of overcoming that and growing into adulthood. And yeah, it's a valid, you know, it's a very real part of life. Exceptional family offices, family enterprises, wealth management, and financial services organizations require superior leadership to successfully thrive in today's competitive environment. Building a team of talented leaders is a complex challenge that is best accomplished in partnership with a firm that offers a proven track record of success, which is why I'd like to introduce you to our new sponsor, Mac International. Mac International is recognized as the premier boutique firm that specializes in providing retained executive search and strategic human capital consulting solutions to single and multi-client family offices, family enterprises, and the full spectrum of wealth management advisory, investment management, and financial services firms that serve ultra-high net private investors and family offices on a national and international basis. If you're interested in learning more about Mac International, visit their website at macinternational.com. So going back to the sibling conversation, because I know that's one of your subject matter expertise areas, how do you push through? I mean, on some level, many families would view rivalries or competition as a positive thing. How do you work through that dynamic to ultimately achieve some type of cooperation, especially as you're trying to engender leadership skills with this rising generation? One of the things that I really learned in my work with sibling partners is that it's really important for them to work on what the partnership means, you know, because often I'm finding anyway that they are so different. I do a lot of assessments with siblings and quite often I find they're opposite. And if you ask any parent, they'll say their kids are, you know, they're one, they all are at wonder how they grew up in the same household and have such different personalities. And I'm sure you will attest to that as a father. And so the challenge with them is that they are different, but those differences are really supportive in leadership roles. They could support one another and be a fantastic team, except that the differences, instead of collaborating and using the best of them, they compete using those differences. And here's the other part of that, is that our strengths also turn into our greatest challenges when they're overused. So, for example, you have somebody who's very capable of creating something and often they 
come across as controllers because they know how to control their environment, use resources productively to create something. But overusing controller can cause a lot of problems in relationships, right? Pleasers, right? They are very, it's great to have people that want to serve one another and please each other, but overusing that and it becomes a problem in relationships. And so how do we combine the best and be mindful of the things that sabotage the relationship? So part of that is really helping siblings, first of all, validating their own journey, right? Which is a really important thing, understanding where they're coming from, helping them believe in themselves, believe in each other and the process, and then helping them, you know, cross the edge to partnership. And partnership is about creating shared meaning, shared understanding, and aligned goals. And so how do we overcome, step over those differences to utilize the best of what we have and look forward versus stay focused on the past and the things that are like a wound. And when we scratch at the wound, you know, it keeps opening up. So what you focus on expands. If you focus just on the wounds, they're going to stay open. They're going to keep opening up. If you focus instead on our strengths and who we could be together and create a clear vision for the partnership, which means that we have to define who are we going to be as partners, not just who are we as individuals, who are we together? And so I find that staying focused on that and the vision and then coaching individually to let go and surrender some things and trust each other. And believe, and I can't stress this enough, I think that faith in each other and believing in a positive outcome, you know, whatever you believe is true. If you believe you can do it, you can. If you believe you can't, you won't. So again, letting the wounds close and going to where we actually want to go together. So self-actualization exercises, I would assume, would be a big part of it. Do you have any more? Obviously, you're discreet, and I don't want you to would be anonymous, but do you have any specific anecdotes that you might be able to share about how this has worked? Yep. Just in the last two days, some, some things that I've come up against, and that is a partnership that started with two sisters they came to business together for a reason. They didn't want to do this alone. They trusted each other because they were opposites. And they knew they had different skill sets, which is what you need in starting a business. So that was all good. And they were okay as they were creating a vision and creating a brand and everything. But then, you know, they started after the business was kind of created. And they stopped thinking about growth and started looking at professionalizing the business. And they started stepping on each other's toes. And, you know, they started kind of wanting to have the business as a reflection of their own personality, who they were and what they envisioned individually. And so that those differences, because they stopped creating together, those differences started coming more. 
And they started competing for the vision of the business versus collaborating as they were at the beginning. Like, right. And so, and, and what we've come to terms with is that one of the challenges they had is at the very beginning, they didn't define their partnership well enough. They knew who they were as individuals. They knew they were different. They would say exactly the same thing. They did not spend enough time on the relationship, on how they were going to work together and on what the partnership meant and nurturing and growing the partnership. And once the business stopped needing to grow because they got to a certain level, they started to compete for the business versus collaborate together to create more business. And we know that if you're not creating, you know, you start going backwards. And so the solution is really the business now was not big enough for the both of them. So it's either you continue to create or one person takes over and the other steps back in ownership or whatever, like they'll figure it out. But they, but miraculously, another opportunity came by that gave them a new leg of where they can go next and continue to um, expand the business. And I think that that is going to, with a bigger team, with more people to be responsible to. And I think that will really help their partnership and the recognition that they have to really work on the relationship and define that now, again, redefine that now that they've done the initial build, right? They have to continue to go back and nurture that partnership. Another sibling team, two brothers, they, you know, inherited a fifth generation business and they have all the opportunity in the world. What a great story they are. And I think they have great foundations for success and they recognize right now the importance of focusing on who they are, not as individuals, but who they are as partners. And I think it's brilliant. And when I can come in at an early stage, it's a lot easier and less hurtful because less hurt has happened in the relationship. So we can be proactive and protect the relationship from the beginning versus coming in years after with this other sibling team that has a lot of hurt between them now. And we have to unwind some of that and heal. Um, so two different situations, but they're all, they're both trying to achieve the same thing and came to the same conclusions. And what would be the commonalities in your opinion? They're both the fact, fact patterns that are. Similar. Yeah. They both showed up as opposites in strengths and, and in their challenges and overusing those strengths, they trigger each other. And basically it's that diversity that is a creative tension. But if you don't know how to harness it and use that diversity in a way that helps them both belong and be valued in the system and help them really work together and appreciate each other's strengths and work with them. Unless we do that, the diversity between them, the differences between them really get in the way. I don't know if that answers your question. but <laughs> No, it's complicated, right? I mean, I think that's not to talk your book, but I think this reinforces the fact that 
you need to bring in a third party professional to help you work through these because if you I had somebody just on earlier today who's a business consultant and he she talked about values that are by design or by default yeah. and you know if you go to your default settings you're going to get default outcomes but if you want to design an outcome you've got to put that work in on the front end and it, it seems pretty clear to me that most of us do not have the ability to navigate these relationship dynamics ourselves clearly because there's so much dysfunction. And so it, it really just proves home the point. I think that people need to go out and find professionals to facilitate these hard conversations and, and to put that work. For in. sure. You know, one of the challenges with families is that they're so familiar with one another. And so in communication and in relationship, they repeat the same pattern over and, you know, you know, they stop listening to one another because they know each other so well that they can already anticipate what the other is going to say. That sometimes creates fear. That creates a, a challenge in them showing up and telling the truth. And other times it just creates frustration or resignation. And so help having somebody come in to have the conversation in a new way and teach them the relationship skills that they need to have the conversation better. And that is key because I really strongly believe that relationship skills are learnable and teachable. And so I spend a lot of time teaching relationship skills in families so they can bust up those patterns and have conversations in a new way. I have to, you know, supporting them by learning and helping families create a culture where they're continuously learning how to be in right relationship with one another, how to be well together and how to stay in the discovery mode with one another versus the knowing mode. You know, do we have to be in the knowing or can we stay in the learning? Can we, you know, and th that to me is one of the keys and one of my greatest First of all, believing that they can do that. I once had five brothers who were in such conflict that they, the accountant laughed at me when I started working with them. He said, Eileen, there's no way you're going to get them to align. They haven't been on a table with one another for seven years. And so the older brother invited me to lunch and he says, Eileen, I don't know if we can do this, but if you believe we can do this, we will give it a try. And you know, that taught me an important lesson that, you know, uh, one of the value, one of the ways that I bring value to families and is keep that belief and be persistent in helping them learn those skills. And I do believe that is kind of my secret sauce, maybe my persistence and my belief that they can learn. And I do the work of teaching them. Yeah, I think staying curious is a big one. It is. Because we tend to lose that as we get older. And other people, especially ones that are we're very close with, we feel like we know them, but we probably don't. Right. And how demoralizing yeah. is that when we tell someone that they're never going to change and grow and we've already got their number? Oh, wow. That's hard in families. And that creates a lot of conflict. That is one. Of the, and that's an identity conflict. It's a very deeply rooted conflict that occurs just because. 
we fail to be curious with one another and give each other the space to grow. So maybe we'll use that as a pivot point because you talked about how you wrote your book, but it was 20 years too early. And maybe talk about how the ways you've grown in your work and maybe go a little bit deeper into what you meant by that statement. So, wow. Uh, again, I wrote Inspired Well, really because as a young person who entered wealth management, I'll share with you one of my first experiences. I went entered wealth management, and at that time, it was 1999, and I had a what they call a wholesaler for mutual funds at the time, come into my office and teach me how to sell mutual funds based on helping people see the discrepancy between where they are and where they need to go and instill some fear in them because fear sells. And I asked that person to leave my office. I said, I will never, ever write, do that. And I had already had the concept of inspired wealth in my mind because of that exact thing. So I just, I couldn't do that. And early on, I needed a process to help people really understand their goals. Because when I asked for people, asked people their goals were all unanimous. I want to educate my kids. I want to retire at 55 at that time. And freedom 55, right? And I want to travel. And that was all I heard from everyone. And what I realized is that couples were not even aligned on what their goals were. They lost sight of how to create goals together because they were just busy. And, you know, the world is fast when you have young families and whatnot. And so I wanted to create a coaching program that aligned with the financial planning process, a mindset program. How do we create the mindset that we need to make the right decisions. And so that's what Inspired Wealth was. But again, it was too early because there was no talk in 1999 of mindset and coaching. And, you know, I was a CFP, a certified financial planner in a of suits with gray hair who really were not concerned about coaching and had their own ways of doing business. But you know, over time, I continued on this journey of trying to find solutions to real issues that people struggle with in their own development and in the ability to create wealth and hang on to wealth. That's a real thing. And in relationships and how they're going to pass wealth from one generation to the next. And as I talked to families, one of the challenges in planning was always that I don't know how to plan. My kids you know, they don't get along. I, I'm having trouble with them myself. It's, you know, and so planning is a difficult thing when there's no ability to communicate in families. And so I started to think about how to do this better. What is at the root cause of the resistance to planning or, you know, the challenges around wealth transfer from one generation to the next? And then as I started working with wealthier and wealthier families, it became about the business. And so now, you know, this book was 20 years too early because it really spoke to, we talked today about Wealth 3.0, about the importance of 
you know, having a positive message around wealth and creating wealth together and the importance of growing the human capital support, wealth sustainability and creation and all that. And when I wrote Inspired Wealth, I really thought about this. I thought, should I write this book to my colleagues, my, you know, the others? financial professionals around me or should I write that this book for the general public and I chose the general public because you know actually I was watching Gladiator at the time when I made that decision and the big lesson from Gladiator was you have to win the crowd and so I thought you have to create the market right for this for knowing how to ask for this otherwise how can we bring better training to the organization to the profession if there's no demand from the clients for this kind of work. So it was always a, a little bit of a challenge for me. And, the, and over time, the industry has found its way there little by little. And we have an exciting time now where we're able to really, there's a critical mass now of people who understand, I guess, what I gleaned early on, but, you know, and are seeing ways to, to, bring this to families and make an impact. And I guess for me, you know, it's like our training is is really good, but it's just not complete. We really have to train in how to help people, not just how to be in good relationship with our clients, that's one thing, but how to help them be in better relationship with one another and how to inspire them to get to where they want to go versus you know, be very stuck in the fear of where they're not yet. I think that's well said. And I want to thank you for the time and for joining us today. I can tell you're a very thoughtful person with a breadth of experience, and I'm sure you're incredible when you work with families. So keep it up. I know it's really hard, but it's important. So thank you for all that you do. If people are interested in learning more about the work that you do, the services that you provide, what's the best way for them to find out more? I have a website called AileenMizziolik.com. So just my personal last name.com. And I'm also on the website for the Family Business Consulting Group, FBCG. The FBCG.com. Yeah, which is an incredible organization. I've had some other folks on the show. Doug Gray is a local here in Nashville, and they do great work. So definitely encourage people to check out the personal website as well as the broader organization. And please do leave us a response or apologies, a rating, and let us know your favorite part of the conversation today with Aileen. A question that we ask people to come on the show, do you have a daily practice that helps bring peace to your life? I do, actually. I have two, but I'll share one that probably is not or may not be one that other people have. But I find that my most creative time for me is when I wake up, but just before I get out of bed. So I love when I wake up and I'm still half in that dreaming mode. And I think about how I want to show up today I think about the families that I'm working with and then I can't tell you how often the most creative thoughts come to me at that time and at four in the morning I must say when I wake up a little earlier sometimes 
But I capture mm. that and I really pay attention at that time to what I'm thinking because it reduces the noise. There's no noise yet. And it comes from a place of my own creativity. And I find that there are always gems. You have like a notepad by I your do. bed? I do. I have a function? remarkable by my bed. And uh, I absolutely... Oh, okay. Yeah. People love those things. You're a fan. I am a fan. I use it all the time. Okay. I no okay. longer have sticky notes everywhere. I have a remarkable and it works. So here's the question. Are you left-handed? I am not. Okay, because I know a lot of lefties love the remarkable because it, you know, doesn't smear and that whole thing. So that's not my issue, but I love it because it keeps everything in one place. And I've got a notebook for all my ideas and I capture them at weird times of the day. I've been wanting to get up at four in the morning and do an hour's work and just go back to bed. And that's most productive time. And so I pay attention to that. And actually, in my book, I talk about that sometimes. We don't pay attention to the inspiration. We've got to ride the inspirational wave when we get it. Oh, believe me, I did a whole episode with somebody about how <laughs> most of our suffering occurs because our body is telling us to do something and we just don't listen to it. It's like, yeah, anyways, it's a whole different conversation. But thank you so much for joining us today. It was terrific. We'll include all the links on the show notes and I look forward to staying in touch. Thank you, Brian. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us for today's conversation on the Capital Club podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to like, rate, and leave us a review. And please follow us on your favorite streaming platform so you never miss an episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.